This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Remembrance Day ceremonies bring British Columbians together. How we honored those who serve. Game over for Dawn Cherry. Hockey is for everyone. Rapid reaction to the end of Coach's Corner from both ends of the rink. And what to do about a grounded barge. We wouldn't want to see anything spilt here. New developments mean it might be there for a while. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us on this Remembrance Day. Normally a day set aside exclusively to honor those who fought and died for our country and those who continue to serve. But today, Don Cherry became a distraction for controversial comments regarding immigrants who don't wear a poppy. He was fired from Hockey Night in Canada today and we'll get to the fallout from that just a little later. But first, the focus is where it should be, sharing gratitude in our province and across our country for the sacrifices of veterans past and present and their continued commitment to Canada. As Catherine Urquhart reports, there was no shortage of Canadians on hand to say thank you. Along Victoria's waterfront, decorated war veterans marched to the legislature to honour those who have served. Among them, Lou Madley, who turns 98 years old later this week. I took part in four seaborne invasion landings and we lost boys, you know. And uh, that's why I come here. It's not for any show. It's to remember those. Uh, This is my dad, Sergeant Mick McGuire, a World War II Korean veteran, seven peacekeeping missions, and my personal hero. At the Provincial Cenotaph, Silver Cross Mother Sheila finds among those who laid wreaths. So many people come. I, I was a little bit worried because I thought, well, Afghanistan is in your rearview mirror a little bit for a lot of people. Um, but they still show up every year and that just makes me really, really happy. Crowds also gathered to remember at Victory Square in Vancouver. 99-year-old Paul Delorme is a Métis veteran who was captured at Dieppe in 1942. My mom was uh, in the war in Holland. Yeah, she was a child there. It's a very emotional day. Uh, It's an Afghanistan medal. Uh, It's pretty important just to get together and all celebrate and uh, just remember those who didn't make it back. Blocks away, in Chinatown, a service marked the sacrifices of early Chinese pioneers, along with those Chinese who served in the Canadian military. Around the province, dozens of other services took place at the Cloverdale Cenotaph outside the Surrey Museum. In New Westminster, an estimated 10,000 people gathered for a parade. Still more marked the day in the Okanagan, 
many expressing similar feelings about just how important it is to remember. It's important to remember those who who go in harm's way on our behalf and especially the ones who didn't come back but to come here and thank the ones who are still doing it for us and just to shake their hand and let them know that we support. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Now to the division over Don Cherry's rant on Saturday's hockey night in Canada. Cherry's you people speech in Coach's Corner singling out immigrants for disrespecting Canadian veterans by not wearing a poppy. The backlash was swift. The Canadian Broadcast Standards Council received so many complaints, it said it couldn't take any more. Grace Key has local reaction both to what he said and the fact that it cost him his job. You people love, you, you, they come here, whatever it is, you love our way of life, you love our milk and honey, at least you could pay a couple of bucks for poppies or something like that. Sportsnet and Don Cherry have parted ways after the Coach's Corner broadcaster made controversial statements regarding immigrants not wearing poppies. Sportsnet issuing a statement reading, he made divisive remarks that did not represent our values or what we stand for. At Remembrance Day ceremonies, people weighed in on his comments. Whether you're immigrants or new Canadians or Canadians, uh, we all honour those people. He singled out immigrants is very problematic given the contribution of immigrants um, and Canadians of diverse backgrounds. Almost every time he speaks, it's outside his game. He's always blows it. He puts his hoof right in his mouth. Politicians attending ceremonies pointed to the diversity of our country. Look at the cadets right over there. A true reflection of our community wanting to join not only wearing the poppy but wearing the cadet uniform, right? Uh, Pointing fingers or dividing. Uh, it's important for us to show that we're all in this together and that we all want to remember those who gave their life. While it doesn't appear Cherry will be issuing an apology, his co-host Ron McLean did, saying he regretted Canada. not speaking so up. I owe you an apology too. That's the big thing that I want to emphasize. I sat there. Uh, did not catch it, did not respond. The fact that there were Punjabi soldiers... At the Museum of Surrey, historian Stephen Purewall says instead of Cherry stepping down from Hockey Night in Canada, this could have been used as a teachable moment. The best possible thing that could have happened was for him to have invited someone more informed onto his show and used his platform to correct what he said. The colourful commentator, who is rarely at a loss for words, has not spoken publicly about and cutting ties with Sportsnet. The butter poppy, I'm still going to run it. Anyhow, love you for it. Grace Key, Global News. And that was the gesture and the comment that got Ron in trouble. Sports director Squire Barnes joins us now. Um, is this the end of Coach's Corner? Well, Coach's Corner was basically invented for Don Cherry. He was hired way back, I think, in 1980 to work on Hockey Night in Canada for the playoffs. And they liked what he did, but they thought he was too much of a homer when it came to the Boston Bruins. So they basically invented Coach's Corner for him in 1982. That's how long that segment has been around. It was originally not Ron McLean. It was originally Dave Hodge, who then got fired for flipping his pen and questioning CBC's uh, going to a, I forget what it was. They didn't yeah, go to didn't a game to or tennis? something. Yeah, they, they went. went they cut out they a went, hockey they, game with the tennis. They went to something else. But whatever the case. Yeah. So um, I don't know if there will still be a coach's corner. I know a lot of people have thought that when Brian Burke was hired, he would be Cherry's replacement because he's also bombastic. But he's never been a coach. No. So they're going to have to GM's change it. Corner. <laughs> GM's corner, if that's the case. Yeah. I know when it happened on Saturday. 
and Sunday, you know, all the backlash began. There was a lot of talk about will they let him go or won't they? Mm -hmm. And my own feelings were the moment I saw the NHL come out and say something about it, I kind of thought, mm, that's it. When the NHL came out, I mean, he and the NHL have always been at odds over the years mm -hmm. for various reasons. And I, I think the NHL has tolerated him, and then it came time to cut the cord. More than anything, professional sports is a business nowadays, and it might have just come right down to it being a business decision between Sportsnet, seeing how the NHL was Well, I think the NHL... I mean, I'm, I'm just guessing. When the NHL condemned it, it's like, that's enough. Mm -hmm. And Sportsnet, that's enough. And we have where we are now. Yep. And the fallout, I'm sure, will continue. Oh, it will continue. Squire, always, uh, as always, thank you for your contribution. We'll see All you right. a little bit later in the okay. program. Right now, as promised by the union representing striking transit workers, there was no ramp up in service disruptions today. However, there were still 14 C-bus cancellations as the transit strike enters its 11th day. Jill Bennett is live with more on the fallout. And Jill, anxiety is growing again for those who rely on transit. But tomorrow could see fewer cancellations, at least on C-Bus. Chris, TransLink has just announced within the last couple of hours what they anticipate to, to be the cancellations. So for tomorrow, they're saying six C-Bus cancellations starting at 4.10 in the afternoon and going until about 9 p.m. So really not a huge disruption for people, a bit of a delay on C-Bus, but not a big disruption. We've also heard, though, from universities in Metro Vancouver. Both UBC and SFU have warned students and faculty, anyone who relies on transit, to get to and from their campus to really have a plan B in place, saying that if job escalation uh, comes to fruition, they are going to still have classes, classes and exams and everything that's scheduled will go ahead. However, students and staff might be scrambling to get to the campus. So whether that's finding a carpool or some other way to get to classes. Now, it's quiet here today being Remembrance Day, but students we spoke to all said that they are very concerned about job escalation in the transit strike i mean like i'm a little bit concerned for my commute it hasn't been affected so far but i i support the transit workers striking so whatever they need to do to get proper working conditions and stuff a lot of our classmates can't get in and even our profs sometimes can't get in like one of our classes started really late and stuff um so yeah it's definitely pretty scary and definitely want that fixed someone like my wife may have to drive me and my kids to school for a change. All right, uh, Jill, any sign these two sides are ready to get back to the bargaining table? At this point, Chris, no negotiations are scheduled. They're still quite far apart on salary increases and working conditions. We are expecting if job action escalates this week, it will be the announcement of an overtime ban by bus drivers. However, we did hear yesterday from the president of Coast Mountain Bus Company saying they have some new ideas to bring to the table, and those focus on compensation for missed breaks, which is something new we hadn't heard before. At this point, though, it's unclear if that's enough to bring the union back to the table. Chris? All right, we'll keep an eye on it tonight and into tomorrow. Jill Bennett, thank you very much. RCMP are renewing their appeal for information in a series of alleged sex assaults believed to be connected to UBC and possibly some of its fraternities. Investigators believe several people may have knowledge and have not come forward. The investigation began late September when a professor at UBC tweeted that one of her students had been drugged at a Vancouver bar 
and while in hospital met six other women who had allegedly been drugged at fraternities. While RCMP believe it is unlikely it happened on campus, it's believed those involved may be associated with fraternities. Investigators say the file is not closed and they are asking those involved or anyone who has information to come forward. Some new developments in that barge grounded just off Quadra Island over the weekend. The hull has been damaged enough that it complicates the effort to get it off the rocks. Aaron MacArthur has more on what happened and the plan going forward. High tide Monday, not quite high enough. The Nana provider still stuck fast on the rocks just offshore Quadra Island. Divers working under the barge, trying to assess the damage and the best way to get her refloated. It's a big, uh, big reef that sticks out about 70 to 80 feet there. So it's quite a, it's a large flat surface, you know, so it might even be pinned on a couple of points under there, but they won't know until they get under and have a look. Saturday night, the Alaska Marine Barge hauling rail cars and containers ran aground near Kwathiaski Cove. It's unclear what happened to the tug that was towing the barge, but it should have been in the middle of the channel, not in shallow water so near the beach. People who live right along the coast, concerned. I mean, sometimes there's dangerous cargo, and so, I mean, we wouldn't want to see a, uh, anything spilt here or possibly a gas leak or something like that, but it does look like they've got it under control. That's what we were worried about, that it might be ammonia or something on there. You know, going into the water, it's going to go right back to Cape Mudge Village. So far, there is no evidence of pollution in the water. The hull is compromised, and there are some volatile chemicals on board. The company that owns the barge developing a salvage plan, but nothing will happen until Transport Canada and the Coast Guard review it. The efforts to refloat the barge begin again Tuesday morning. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Devastation in Australia, the unprecedented threat from deadly wildfires and why the region's animals are at risk too, coming up on the news hour. And a new image that captures the sheer enormity of the sun as Mercury passes in front of it. It looks close, but the true distance is astonishing. That's later as well. Right now, though, a much-loved diner in Langley has been hit by thieves. Brogan's Diner is a neighborhood favorite, known as much for its food as for all of the good it does in the community. Paul Johnson has more on what was stolen and how customers are now rallying to help. So this is the door that was busted where they came in. Pointing out the door that burglars broke through Monday morning at a restaurant. Shannon Brogan's been absorbing the loss all day. It's quite upsetting. They took some of the usual stuff, like a cash box with a couple hundred dollars inside. She can cope with that. But it's the other things they took that were the biggest blow. They came in here and took all our equipment, our mics, our computers, all the guitars. Brogan's Diner, as it turns out, is more than just a place for food. For years now, their little stage has been a performance venue for the community. And on top of everything else, the thieves made off with their new karaoke machine. It just saddens my heart. I hope they would return it. And while that would have been a huge hit at any time, this heist upended their plans to honor veterans on Remembrance Day. We are going to have a great Veterans Day today at Brogan's Diner. But as it turns out, years of serving the community meant the community was ready to give back. 
Within hours of the break-in, news got around online and someone turned up with a loner karaoke machine. We're just going to, I guess, sing different music and everything like that for the veterans. There's some veterans that are coming in tonight to sing with us. By late afternoon, they had that new machine all figured out. And what's better on a special day of thanks than one of the greatest feel-good sing-outs of all time? We are the world. We are the children. In Langley, Paul Johnson, Global News. Yet another shocking escalation of violence in Hong Kong after a scuffle with a police officer ends with a protester shot point blank, now in critical condition. Hong Kong's leader is now pledging to spare no effort to stop anti-government protests that have paralyzed parts of that city for more than five months. And a warning, some of the video in this report will be disturbing for some people. A dramatic escalation today of the crisis in Hong Kong. A 21-year-old protester was shot by a police officer at almost point-blank range. The man is in critical condition in the hospital. All of this follows the death on Friday of a 22-year-old student who fell from a car park after protesters were dispersed by police. Today, there were running street battles in the very heart of Hong Kong's business district. Police firing tear gas and rubber bullets. Demonstrators throwing bricks and bottles. There is no solution because the government never responds to any of our requests on the police violence. Hong Kong's leader, the chief executive, Carrie Lam, warned today, we will not buckle, calling rioters the enemies of the people. We will spare no effort in finding ways and means that could end the violence in Hong Kong as soon as possible. There's no sign of any negotiations or a solution with both sides digging in for a low-level urban war of attrition. And the city is now suffering a recession. Today, Hong Kong's stock market fell over 2.5%, the sharpest fall in three months. The protesters are now calling for a general strike tomorrow. Bill Neely, NBC News, London. And another disturbing event a few hours after the protester was shot. A man challenging demonstrators was doused with flammable liquid and set on fire. He is also in critical condition now in hospital. Australian officials are warning tonight about possibly catastrophic conditions in the country's largest city of Sydney because of those raging wildfires. At least three people have died and more than 150 homes have been destroyed by more than 60 fires in New South Wales and Queensland. Thousands have been evacuated. There are also serious concerns for the country's native wildlife, particularly koalas and kangaroos. Several animals have been rescued, but the fires have killed more than half the koala population at one reserve. Some people in remote areas are fighting spot fires with little more than buckets. And to make matters worse, forecasters are warning that high winds and scorching temperatures tomorrow could be unprecedented. In Washington, the paddle lines are drawn tonight as House Democrats prepare to take their impeachment inquiry into Donald Trump public. The president couldn't avoid the controversy even at Veterans Day ceremonies. Even honoring the nation's veterans in New York... President Trump cannot escape what was literally looming over him, impeachment, as those hearings go public this week. 
Out from behind closed doors, three career diplomats whose testimony appears to connect the dots of a quid pro quo that President Trump looked to trade military aid to Ukraine for political help investigating Joe Biden and the 2016 election. One Democratic source predicting a blockbuster, with the president's critics hoping the hearings get the public on their side. The strategy? Lose the Latin. Quid pro quo is one of these things to muddy the works. When you're trying to persuade the American people of something that is really pretty simple, which is that the president acted criminally and extorted, it's probably best not to use Latin words to explain it. The Republicans' response? Rally around the president, with some now acknowledging problems with that July phone call between President Trump and Ukraine's leader, but pointing out Ukraine ultimately did get the military aid it needed. I think it is not a good practice for us ever to ask a foreign country to investigate an American. Impeachment's a serious issue, and I I don't see it as impeachable. But the president's own message about that phone call? Don't be led into the fool's trap of saying it wasn't perfect but is not impeachable, he tweeted. Nothing was done wrong. Passengers on board a flight that landed at Chicago's O'Hare Airport are wondering tonight why the landing was attempted at all. Take a look. It was the jet's second attempt to land in a blizzard after aborting its first try, and at first, everything seemed fine. But the plane skidded off the runway and came to a stop, its wing embedded in the snow. The jet from North Carolina carried 38 passengers and three crew members. No one was hurt. And put yourself in the place of this Wyoming state trooper sitting in his patrol car watching this come at him. A truck slides off the highway and slams right into the cruiser. The trooper wasn't seriously hurt, thankfully. The truck driver wasn't injured either, but was cited for careless driving. A growing controversy tonight over Apple's new credit card with the company and the bank it's partnered with accused of gender bias. Even the co-founder of Apple is questioning why men are being given much higher credit limits than their wives. Apple calls it simple and secure. A credit card created by Apple, not a bank. But Apple and partner Goldman Sachs are now accused of gender bias. Software developer and millionaire David Heinemeyer Hansen says he and his wife share assets and income. But Apple Card gave him a credit line 20 times higher than hers, even though she has a higher credit score. It seemed very discriminatory that I would get 20 times the credit limit, even though our stats were the same. Goldman says a computer algorithm made the decision. When Hansen vented on Twitter, social media erupted with similar stories. Even the man who co-founded Apple, Steve Wozniak, says he got 10 times the credit limit that his wife Janet got. It was so low I could barely buy a phone or a plane ticket, and I buy all of his plane tickets. I always think in terms of assets and income, and it's the same for both of us, and that should determine your credit worthiness. Goldman Sachs, Apple's financial partner, says gender and marital status are not factors. We look at an individual's income and an individual's credit worthiness, which includes factors like personal credit scores, how much debt you have, and how that debt has been managed. Consumer advocates say algorithm bias is nothing new. We've seen it in housing, we've seen it in hiring, we've seen it in health care. Tonight, the Wozniaks say Goldman Sachs has offered to increase Janet's limit as New York State regulators look into whether this credit card algorithm has an illegal gender bias. An unusual rescue operation in Norway after a public outpouring of support for a farmer. 
A helicopter takes off to rescue three sheep stuck on the side of a mountain. The ewe and two lambs were stranded and couldn't get down. Their owner was worried they'd starve to death and even considered shooting them so they wouldn't suffer. But when word spread across the region, people raised enough money for a rescue operation. Climbers were flown up, caught the sheep, and loaded them into the chopper. All three animals are back at home in good condition. In Health Matters tonight, two new studies have found that e-cigarettes negatively impact heart health. One study found that LDL levels, or bad cholesterol, were higher in e-cigarette users than in non-smokers. And good cholesterol levels were lower in both those who use e-cigarettes and traditional cigarettes. A separate study found that blood flow in the heart decreased right after vaping. Another new study finds that women should avoid late evening meals. Researchers from Columbia University found that women who ate most of their daily calories after 6 p.m. were more likely to have higher blood pressure, higher blood sugar, and a higher body mass. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory... Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Index. Among all of the communities across B.C. that paid tribute to our war heroes, one Okanagan municipality knows Remembrance Day has special meaning. The community of Peachland lost more men per capita in World War I than any other place in Canada. And the sacrifices didn't end there. Peachland service started like many others across our country with a solemn ceremonial piping in of dignitaries. They shall grow not old. The act of remembrance and the reading of For the Fallen. We will remember them. In this small Okanagan town, there's a certain reverence for Remembrance Day, perhaps because... Peachland had the greatest loss per capita in World War I in Canada. Banners with the names of Peachland's 21 fallen men from both world wars fly high from the light posts that line the town's main street, Beach Avenue. Many of the families that are still here remember the people from World War II or are linked in some ways to the people from World War I as well. And one of those people is Noel Wilson. Wilson, who was born and raised in Peachland, is a familiar face in the crowd at the Cenotaph on Remembrance Day. Noel's older brother Raymond was a bombardier in the Royal Air Force. Raymond Hathaway Wilson was killed in what would come to be the bloodiest night in the Royal Air Force's history. March 31st, 1944. 795 aircraft took off from British bases to bomb the German city of Nuremberg. German night fighters were picking them off like flies. 95 of them would not return. The death toll? 545. He was number 55 that went down. And so every year, Noel Wilson returns home to Peachland, where his brother's name is etched upon the cenotaph. <laughs> he, was, he was just a young guy. He was a kid. Like so many others that made the supreme sacrifice for our country, lest we forget.
Travis Lowe, Global News, Peachland. More Remembrance Day coverage coming up, but right now it's about as rare as it gets when it comes to stargazing, a celestial event today that happens only about 13 times every century. We'll have some of the stunning details coming up right after the forecast. Pretty gray sky, not much to see up above. Let's see what's to come in the forecast with Yvonne Shell and for Christy today. Hi, Yvonne. Hi, Chris. It was nice that it was dry today for the Remembrance Day ceremonies across the Lower Mainland. Uh, we are going to see a change on the way, and we are going to be looking at wet weather moving in for our Tuesday. And I'll have the timeline in just a moment and some active weather with the risk of freezing rain for a few spots across the province. We're at 9 with a southeasterly wind at 6 kilometres per hour. Here's a glance at what we're seeing, so a chance of showers, but the heavier rain across the south coast will move in overnight and for Tuesday morning and then ease off once again by the afternoon. The following areas, we've got the risk of freezing rain, a wintry mix, even the potential to see ice pellets and snow. What we do have is this cool Arctic air that's been across the province and we've got a warm front moving in with the warm um, air aloft is where we're seeing the risk of freezing rain and it's really inland and across the central interior overnight and for tomorrow morning before it does start to change back over to rain with temperatures getting above the freezing mark. If you're heading along any of the mountain passes, the concern will be the sea evening, overnight, and for Tuesday morning. Following spots in blue, freezing rain warning, and in yellow is where we'll see the potential, and the following spots is where we're seeing the warning, where the north coast inland for Terrace included, and as well as Prince George. Mountain passes, risk of freezing rain and snowfall, significant amount. Rogers and Coquihalla will see some of the higher amounts. Pine Pass will also see the risk of freezing rain in five and up to ten centimeters of snowfall. Coastal sections, it'll stay as rain with windy conditions. Inland, we'll start to see that transition. Over to rain with temperatures getting above the freezing mark. Much of the central interior overnight and for tomorrow morning is when we'll see the risk of freezing rain and then a rain-snow mix for much of the tops in Okanagan and southern areas. Across the south coast to heads up for tomorrow morning back to school and work. We will see a soggy start to the morning and then changing over to showers or tapering off. Wednesday we may see a bright spot, lighter precipitation and then heavier rainfall moving in for Thursday onwards and looking ahead towards the beginning of the weekend. A great shot that was submitted. We'll leave you with this. Vancouver sent in from Catherine and that's at City Hall and Shaughnessy Elementary School, grade five and six, made some of the poppies there. Beautiful display there. Okay, thanks very much, Yvonne. Well, it was a big day for professional and amateur astronomers thanks to a very rare celestial event. Spectacular images as the planet Mercury passes between the sun and the earth. It only happens about 13 times a century, and despite the fact that Mercury looks very close to the sun, it's still actually about 60 million kilometers away. Several organizations, including NASA, live-streamed the event. It lasted a little more than five hours. People on the east coast of the U.S., Central America and South America, were able to see the entire event. This gives you an idea of the scale of things Spectacular. in our solar system, for sure. Can you imagine doing the weather on Mercury? Well, <laughs> today it's going to be 427 degrees Celsius, <laughs> so you might want to wear your... Sunblock. Apparently, it's not even the hottest planet. Venus gets hotter because Mercury's Mercury's orbit is elliptical, so when it gets further away, it gets colder. And well, Learn Venus that. has the greenhouse gas effect. Exactly. Mm-hmm. People like to say it's Movember, <laughs> and in the Canucks' case, that means they need Mo goals. What's well, happening? or it's November, as in no goals. That's true. <laughs> <Get it? laughs> well, actually, there's been some goals. Uh, November is usually a gloomy month in Vancouver. It rains a lot. It begins to get colder. You can feel old man winter slipping back in the town under the cover of darkness. And the other thing that happens in November, 
the Canucks start to stumble. Even in 2010-2011, when the Canucks went to the Stanley Cup final in November, they had a four-game losing streak. The difference between this year's October Canucks and November Canucks is goal scoring. Last month, everyone seemed to be scoring. Remember that one game where all 12 forwards got at least a point? Tim Schaller had four goals in October. Well, in November, not even the Canucks stars are scoring much. Able to keep it in now, stolen by Pedersen. Two on Owen Vertanen. Elias Pedersen in, shoots. Biddington got a little piece of it. The Canucks are having a hard time finding the back of the net these days. Not surprisingly, same goes for victories. Vancouver's lost four straight and now five of their last six. You know, I think after breaking down the last four games, we've averaged 34 shots a game, which is fairly high in the league. Um, the save percentage in those games was nine, almost 970, which is fairly high. And sometimes it's a combination of the puck not going in, the other goalie playing good. Maybe your team's a little bit tired. Uh, and not just physically, but maybe mentally they're not quite as sharp. Levo, here's Horvat all alone. Bo Horvat deeks, and reaching back was Hellebuck to make the save. For whatever reason, the month of November is notorious for knocking the stuffing out of the Canucks. We've been fooled by strong starts to the season in previous years, only to see reality set in by Christmas. But is this year's version of the Canucks capable of steering itself out of the rough waters, which have sunk playoff hopes for four straight years? The Canucks think so. It seemed like everything was going in for us at the beginning, right? And, and uh, you know, it was tough not scoring goals, obviously. And the frustrating part is we're getting our chances, right? And I think eventually it's going to start to come around and, and we're going to, you know, one's going to go in off somebody's rear end or off a shin pad and it's just going to, the floodgates are going to open again. So um, it's just a matter of time for us. A lot of the last few games felt a lot like uh, our first or middle of our winning streak there, the way we were playing and the shots we were getting and, and uh, they're just not going in right now. So uh, we'll, we'll keep pushing and um, there's a certain feeling after uh, losing games that uh, sometimes it's, you're really down and you feel like you're not playing well and then there's times like this where um, we can kind of have our chin up and, and keep playing, and that's uh, the quicker we, um, you know, I guess the, I guess stay with our game, the faster things are going to turn around for us. And yet Blackwood. When Jacob Markstrom took a leave of absence from the Canucks in mid-October, it was to visit his father in Sweden, who was battling cancer. Yesterday, Markstrom announced his father had passed away, and for the Canucks themselves, they were glad they were able to get Markstrom back home to spend time with his dad before he passed away. Those things are very important and I'm, I think we're all thankful that he did get to go home and, and uh, you know, he can speak on it more when he's ready to and I don't want to speak for him. It's just, uh, I'm proud of how he's handled it and it's, I, I can't imagine what he's gone through. You know, that's there's not much else you can say when you lose a father and uh, you know, it's just very uh, touching, and uh, I'm glad that he got to go home. Well, today everyone in Canada seemed to have an opinion on Don Cherry. But what about the players? The news came of his firing while the Canucks were practicing. So after practice, we got a chance to ask some of them how they felt about it. I mean, you know, he's been in the game for a long time, and he's been around. But at the same time, hockey's supposed to bring people together, and, and um, you know, there's no place for, for stuff like that. So, um no, it's uh, no. I think it's the right decision to be made. 
it's obviously a bit of a touchy, touchy subject, but uh, um, like I said, uh, this game's for all of our fans, no matter where you're from or what your um, your roots are. So I think uh, uh, as an organization, the Canucks, uh, uh, we welcome everybody. So uh, that's about all I want to uh, uh, talk about it. Well, I can't really comment on him being fired up. Like, it's not my cup of tea to like, uh, comment on that. Um, it's, uh, he's a legend in the in the hockey. He's be, I think he'll be a hockey Hall of Fame because he has such an impact on the game. Uh, regarding his comments, that's his uh, saying, and I don't really, uh, want to really comment on that. Well, I don't think there's any room for that. In, you know, not just in sport, but in life in general. And... Uh, you know, you don't like to see people making comments like that that'll hurt other other people, other cultures. I don't think John Cherry was ever destined for the Hockey Hall of Fame. No? If he wasn't in before, I don't think the NHL was ever going to put him in. That's just what I think. But Anyway, this is uh, Arizona and Washington. Jacob Chikram, but now he's definitely not going in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Uh, was 3-0 for the Coyotes. This was the third goal. Michael Grabner It's now in overtime. Washington has battled all the way back. Russell Wilson, Jimmy Garoppolo. Let's renew the rivalry. San Francisco's good again, so this will be fun. First quarter, Garoppolo, Kendrick Bourne, it's a touchdown. It's 10-0 for the unbeaten 49ers. Then Garoppolo... Puts ball on carpet. Right there. And now it's in the hands of Jadavian Clowney. And now the Seahawks defense have got them back in the game. So it's 10-7 at halftime. Is that his second fumble recovery return for a touchdown? Jay Durant probably knows that. He's standing (laughs) right by right now. I'm not sure. We'll have to check the uh, tape on that. It sounds... Right. I'll, I'll, I'll check it. We're, t- we're going to take a look. We're we'll going to take a look. we got a computer right here. Yeah. Like right the, here. In the meantime, here is Jay with a look ahead. we got to focus on other things. Right That's right. Yeah. Global News at 11. Yes, risks of landslides in parts of the province has led to massive delays for drivers. Highway 51, also known as Telegraph Creek Road, has been closed since Tuesday when a slide came down about 19 kilometers east of Telegraph Creek. Crews have been working to remove the debris, but it's not fast enough for many. Plus, the latest on those weather warnings tonight with a chance of ice and snow in some parts of the province. We'll have those stories and more when you join us tonight at 11, Chris. All right, thanks very much, Jay. We're still looking. Wait a minute. Was I just talking smack or was it? Well, he had had a fumble recovery. I'll just see if this was a touchdown. We'll get get back here. We'll get back. (laughs) Just around the corner from Victoria's Remembrance Day ceremonies today was a smaller commemoration for the victims of war that are usually forgotten. As Kylie Stanton reports, organizers paid tribute to the amazing contributions made by four-legged conscripts. The poppies worn here are a little different, but so is this ceremony. The purple poppy is to honour the animals. Dozens have gathered behind the legislature in Victoria to recognize the animal victims of war. I'm so touched that so many of you have taken the time to be here with us. Now, in its fifth year, the event is the only one of its kind in Canada. So it's really important that we stress that animals used in war, they're not heroes, they're not sacrifices, that they're victims because they had no choice in terms of them being there. During World War I, 16 million animals perished. Half of them were horses. Ammunition and rations had to be brought forward on pack animals. 
Canada used them to transport materials and troops, carrier pigeons to deliver messages, and dogs as medical assistants, bomb detectives, and search and rescue workers. And so that's why we gather here today, is because the animals of war have been a footnote to history. As two minutes of silence is observed, they're remembered. We couldn't have done some things without them, and they played just such, uh, I would say, an equal part. I think it's very significant and important to remember uh, the contributions that they have made to society and to democracy. The event is in no way intended to disregard the millions of human lives lost, but instead to raise awareness about the impact of war on animals. The hope is to see a monument established in Victoria, similar to this one in London that Reichert says doesn't glorify the animals, but instead captures the burden that was placed on them. It's important we just remember that they had no choice, they were forced to be there, and um, they died without being able to even comprehend what was really going on around them. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. That was a beautiful memorial in London that mm-hmm. until today I didn't even know was there. So yeah. appreciate that. Thanks very much, Kylie. Uh, we've solved the Jadavian clowny mystery. mystery. Well, it's not even a mystery. It's just a matter of looking it up, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're right. I, I sort of remember that, too. It was an interception touch. That's right. I thought it was a fumble. Now he's had one of each. He's had one of each. Pick six and a fumble recovery. All right. Uh, finally, and thank you again, Yvonne, for uh, your work tonight. As we leave you, a few images from today's Remembrance Day events. Thank you to the men and women who died for our country and to those who continue to serve. And thank you for watching. Hi.